Yeah. So how you how you been, sir? I've <laughs> uh, been pretty good, man. Just been um, yeah, having the week off after competing last weekend, and yeah, red. bit of a good showing, huh? Yeah, man, that was good. It's <laughs> good meet. It's good so, meet. Leading into this, I had seen like you had been. You're working with the strength guys, right? Yep. Which is obviously like one of the better, more established yeah. outfits out there. They got a lot of world champions, um, mm -hmm. and in the 72 kilo class, they got mm -hmm. a fucking big dog, don't they? Yeah, man. <laughs> they got Mr. Ratwood. Is that why? Why did you end up choosing the strength guys mm -hmm. when you're looking for a coaching service? Um, it was mostly because one of them was based where I live, uh, Kidrick. He's my current coach right now. So, okay. um, yeah, I kind of like been eyeing them up for a wee while, like, you know, seeing Atwood, uh, you know, over the years, uh, dominating in shit. So like, um, but Kidrick, he lives in Auckland. So I just, yeah, applied for it and, um, yeah, got Kidrick as my coach so that he could help me on like meet days and it was just like real convenient especially the in terms of meat day handling the strength guys come prepped man like they i've seen the dossiers they bring it's yeah. not on field it's not how many kilo do you think you have in you like those fellas uh, take it way serious so yeah. in having a guy who actually is somewhat locally anyways who could show up to the big meets with you is a big advantage oh man massive advantage like he brings his old spreadsheets and like his little clipboard and everything like all fully prepared and everything eh? that's really cool how long have you been working with him uh so not long to be honest like it would have been i'd like to say maybe the end of last year okay yeah uh, so enough enough to make yeah. a difference for sure but yeah not a crazy yeah. long time and, yeah. and just for everyone who everyone who's listening, where are you from? Uh, from New Zealand. And whereabouts in New Zealand? Uh, Auckland. Oh, that's the capital, right? Uh, everyone thinks it's the capital. Nah, it's the, um, it's the biggest city in New Zealand. Okay, it's, it's the, the biggest city yeah. then, okay. Yeah, yeah. And how close are you to like, like when I think, obviously when people think New Zealand, if it's powerlifting, mm -hmm. you're thinking Brett Gibbs. Um, mm -hmm. How long have you been powerlifting? Um, I've almost been powerlifting for three years. Okay. Um, so Relatively was, new, actually. Shit, man. You made some quick yeah. gains. Yeah. No, I've been, um, I started in November. So coming up November, that'll be three years that I've been um, competing, at least anyway. And when you first started powerlifting, like, how did you find powerlifting? I was fun, man. Like, yeah, we just did it as like a work gig, like, no thought behind it, no training behind it. Just like, we all did it for work and went to a comp, and then I just haven't looked back, eh? And, and did you know anything about, like, did you know about Brett that New Zealand had one of the biggest stars when you got involved or after, quickly afterwards? Uh, quickly afterwards. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, like the first weight class that I did when I competed was 83. Oh. Um, and, then, and then that's why, I, like, one of my friends was like, oh, nah, man, like, don't do 83 because Brett Gibbs is in that class. So I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I'll go down to 74. <laughs> You're like, well, what kind of total do I need to beat him? And they're like, uh. A fucking yeah. lot. Yes. <laughs> How tall are you? I'm um, 165 centimeters, which is, I think, 5'5". Five five. Okay. So 83 yeah. would still be real stocky. Yeah. Yeah. But Brett's about the same height. Yeah, I think... Oh, I've, I've seen him in person a couple of times, and I think we're about the same, like, height-wise in that. 
Yeah, around yeah. there. Yeah. And, and what were you doing for work that you guys are smashing weights like this? For work as in training? Well, you said oh. you found powerlifting through, like, were you, you were lifting oh, weights for work? Oh, true. Yeah, yeah, no, I was doing personal training down in, um, in Bicago at the bottom of the South Island. Okay. Um, yeah, so just in the gym, like, the other trainer there, he was a powerlifter. He'd been competing a couple of times, and, yeah, I, I had no idea what it was. He was just, like, always just, like, squatting and shit in the squat rack, and I'm, like, I was bodybuilding at the time back then. Yeah. For competing yeah. bodybuilding or just training-wise? Oh, you were competing yeah. there, too. Yeah, so I competed for a uh, good maybe two, two years, two or three years, about two or and, three times a year. And how was – here's the thing when it comes to bodybuilding. Um, like, it's all in the prep, and it becomes down to how well you can not only just sustain this dieting, and, but you just feel like – like, it's, it's different. Powerlifting, when you're smashing weights, you're like, oh, mm. hell yeah. Like, you mm. feel good. You can't wait to get to the gym. Cause you're just on a roll. Sometimes you get it. You can't. You you have a good squat day. You're like I can't wait until next week. It's gonna be some mm -hmm. shit. Like wait till mm -hmm. people see this <clears throat> bodybuilding. I've never done it, but I've had friends who've done it, and it's like gruesome. They're they're like, look at I have no calories. I feel like hell. Um, I've had buddies who've been like big time honest. Been like, look at me. I can't. I'm not banging my girl anymore. Excuse me, pardon me. Excuse me, pardon me. I'm not making love to my girlfriend anymore. Um, <clears throat> I'm like, just getting through <clears throat> to our session as hell. It's, you know, they said it like the experience of it is a whole nother ball game than powerlifting. Even though you're lifting weights and going to the gym, it's like a whole nother thing altogether. 100% man. Um, but I think the, the biggest thing that I took away from bodybuilding was definitely like the mental the mental strength side of it, like yeah. the ability to just like kind of focus and keep things going no matter how hard it gets and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't like bodybuilding. It was tough. Really? <laughs> yeah, it you was can, like. You could build up such a crazy good base with muscle mass, but when you yeah. diet down, you could lose so much of it. Yeah. Yeah. It was just continuously like this all year round, you know? Yeah. Um, but man, it was cool base. It, the thing in with bodybuilding as well, when you step on stage, it's like, it's all over. Like there's no, like there's performing, there's posing for sure. And you can out pose guys, whatever, but you're, you're not going to get leaner. You're not going to get like, it's, you know, you're, you're done. And you're like, okay, I guess got to present what I got. And uh -huh. when it's powerlifting, there is some game day coaching. There is like some, you know, there's mm -hmm. some shit that can happen because the sport, like the nominations, we've seen it. You know, you can have whatever nominations. You can have whatever mm -hmm. gym lifts, but on the day, it doesn't always transpire. So that's yeah. why it's a little different when you step on there with bodybuilding. But uh -huh. um, in terms of like the mental, in terms of the discipline, mm -hmm. for people who don't know, like I've, again, I haven't done it. Like I was dating a girl who was one of those fitness, like at one of the bikini categories. And um, dog, it was like, there was some <laughs> shit for women. The hormones probably for the men as well but the hormones mm -hmm. get all crazy like she's like this is tough they, like uh -huh. she would have like some you get some breakdowns man it is nothing and then right up before you start having like oh my god what am i doing am i about to embarrass myself i can't yeah. believe i'm about to step on stage i am not ready and the, your coach is always going to be like you will never whenever you're bodybuilding you will never feel like you're ready arnold schwarzenegger probably never thought he was ready because you are literally being stepping on stage damn near naked to be judged 
Like that's fucking man. That's a yeah. that's a hard thing to do, man. Yeah, man. That's nah, yeah. It's pretty full on, man. Too subjective for me. Did you have like bodybuilding heroes when you were in that sport? Uh not not really, to be honest. Like you know, I always looked up to like Arnold and and um, you know, watch the Olympia every year and that. But uh, okay, yeah. So you were in a little bit then, if you're watching was, the Olympia. Yeah, I was I was in pretty I was in pretty deep for a little while. But <laughs> did you did you have you seen um, Ronnie Coleman? There's a documentary on him, and he's been on Joe Rogan and like Value Team and a couple podcasts. You see what happened to him? Yep. Yeah. What What the hell? Like, obviously, he's he moved some big weights. Um, mm-hmm. Like he's he shifted some big weights for sure. But for anyone listening who doesn't know. Ronnie Coleman straight up had so many back issues that they had to, he's had so many back surgeries. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did you see the documentary? I haven't seen the documentary. Okay. But do you know about it? What, how we ended up? He's like on two canes, not very mobile. He for a little while was like on a crazy amount of like uh, painkillers to, to all the pain. He had so many back surgeries that they could no longer go through his back because there there's so many rods, et cetera. They had to go through the front, remove organs to get to his spine. And he's just absolute mess. And, you know, watching it as a power lifter, it's like, holy, this is like a worst case. This is like a boxer who's a younger boxer meets one of his heroes. And, and you haven't seen him in the limelight in like 20 years. And you get close to him and the dude's like punch drunk. And you're like, oh no, is this uh-huh. looking into the future? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's some scary shit. Um, I don't know if you if you haven't seen the documentary, maybe you shouldn't, my man. I don't want to psych you out. But it's <laughs> it's it's pretty intense because you wonder, like, he was moving big weights, but look at the guys we have. Like, look mm-hmm. at the weights you're shifting with your frame. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I don't understand how how you guys can. You guys are, I think most people, we have had some power lifters who are older now and they're okay. It's just, I don't know if it's luck of the draw or what the hell happened. Yeah, I don't know. I think training's definitely getting um, like a little bit more smarter nowadays as well. Right. So I think it's all about, you know, like just smash it like all the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man. He, he briefly talked about how actually he was saying, um, he would go in the gym and it was kind of like you're saying, I want 800. It's not an RPE system where like, how much do I got in the tank today? You know, he'd yeah. go in there and be like, I want 800. And he'd uh-huh. be on like a calorie deficit in all the raw, all the, the shit that you shouldn't be doing. Like I look at every now and then I'll stray a little heavier, have a couple cocktails and the calories go up a little bit inadvertently. Yo. And I'm like, okay, I better tighten it up a little bit. And when I slash those calories, my man, the strength is like, whoa. And if I'm, if I just try to like white knuckle my way through those periods, like, oh, just fucking it's mind over matter. And I keep loading the bar heavy, not recognizing, like, I'm just going to work through the calorie deficit. I'm not changing because that's how tough I am. And that's when injuries, I'm like throwing out my back. And I'm like, holy damn, this is just silly, man. It's not the way it works. Where you get a guy like him is on as much gear as he's on. And is mentally where he's probably at, like he's incredibly competitive. And he said he'd be like, however many weeks out for Mr. Olympia. And he's like, load up 800 on the squat rack. We're going to have some fun today. And it's like, 
that that's talk. <laughs> You're gonna have some issues later in life, my friend. Yo, this story doesn't end well. Um, so when you were so when you started, ended up with powerlifting, um, and you, and you started like lifting initially. Did you have a coach initially, or were you just doing your own thing? Um, I had a not really a coach, but I had programming. I was getting programming from the strength athlete. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember who the coach was back then. Like I was, I was just like getting sent to program every twelve weeks. But they programmed me until my first uh, provincial comp that I did in Auckland about oh, like six months later. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's when I got uh, my actual coach, which was three um, DMJ. And did you who who taught you the actual lifts? Um, like the technique and everything. Yeah, because it's not. Uh, like your lips are on point and you're sumo polar. Like it's very technical stuff. Yeah. Um, I kind of learned all of that myself because like I did a lot of it while I was bodybuilding um, just because I, I did my study um, down south. Like I studied like sport exercise science. So I just like always, um, yeah, just look quite into it and just keep practicing it over a couple of years while I was doing bodybuilding. Um, obviously back then it was just like lots of repetition. So I got lots yeah. of practice. Um, but I, I never went heavy until, you know, obviously powerlifting. Were you yeah. strong though when you were bodybuilding? Like, did you have inklings or was it because you're always in deficits and not really looking to push it to that you didn't know? Yeah, like I, I never felt strong, but like looking back at a couple of my videos, because, uh, you know, the, the lowest rep that I was probably doing back then would have been like, uh, maybe like five, five or six. And looking back at a couple of my videos, uh, they they weren't like bad, so I think the the strength has always been like there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, even even back with the bodybuilding days and that with like bench pressing and and squatting, I didn't do much deadlifts back then. Um, but yeah, it, it always has been like there. <laughs> you know, when you're leaving a sport like bodybuilding, which is like crazy discipline. Here's the thing: when you leave powerlifting, you can't go willy nilly. If you you're like obviously you're in a weight class. But you leave the gym, you're pretty all right. Like, like comparatively, whereas bodybuilding, when you're prepping, you, it, you never leave. Like, you're never off. It, especially in the last few weeks, mm -hmm. you're constantly hungry. You're constantly checking, you know, all your calories and where you're at and updating your coach on picks daily. And, and then you're in the gym and then you got cardio. And based off of how you look, you have to shift things around. And, like, it's never off your mind. You go to bed at night starving. You know, you go to bed at night and you're like, fuck, this is especially near the end. Like it's never off, so to speak. It's a it's in terms of a commitment for anyone who's like, this sounds like fun. It's like this is dumb. I had Screamer Manuel on here. Mm -hmm. And my man is a power lifter. Wasn't the most he was like a Lane Norton power lifter, like a ripped dude. He liked to like run heavy and um and just smash food and then he could smash weights, feel great. So he went into bodybuilding, talked about, it. he's like, man, it was, he got, you could, it can be with discipline comes its own reward where you're suffering. But when you feel like you're suffering towards a goal, there's something gratifying for humans when you're like, I'm fuck, I'm in hell right now. But there's something like when you lay down, you're like, but there's something rewarding about it, which is weird. As uh -huh. humans, uh -huh. we, we, if you take someone, you think you put them in like a utopia paradise where they don't work, they don't move, they don't whatever. Mm. Promise you, they will become depressed. 
If they're just like, lay on the beach, we're going to feed you, give you drinks, you ain't going to do shit all day. I promise you that person's going to get depressed real quick and you're going to have issues. Like, there's something weird about a little bit of suffering is like, we're fucking getting after it now. And you get closer to that goal. Um, and Screamer was talking about that, how, I was like, how did you cope, man, when you went from like powerlifting to that? And he's like, the strength leaving was a fuck up in the mentally, that was tough. Especially when he was, you went bodybuilding to powerlifting, but he went from powerlifting to bodybuilding where he was like breaking world records and then went into, he's, you know, shifting like way sub-maximal weights. So that was a mental thing. But he said there was something about, you know, sacrificing. I don't drink. I don't, I'm sorry. I'm not going to drink this weekend. It's my buddy's wedding. I'm going to show up. And there's something that made you feel, I don't know, like a, like really this, maybe it's the control about it. Maybe it's the, the fucking amount of control I have emotionally, mentally over my body and my mind. I, mm -hmm. I like that, you know, cause he's, mm -hmm. he, he's openly suffers from depression, anxiety and some issues like that. So it might've been, but um, mm -hmm. did you feel like that when you were in it, when you were like suffering where you're like, I, or at the very least, you know, you can go there if you need to. Yeah. Well, I kind of like thrived off that feeling um, a lot. I still do now as well. That's why I love like peak week of like when I do my water cut for my um, powerlifting week, it just makes me more, I don't know. I just know that I'm going to feel good after that feeling is gone. Same yeah. thing with like bodybuilding. Like it's like all the suffering, but then like, I know that the feeling's going to be like extra when the, the competition's over, like when I have my food and, and I, you know, recover yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Like I know that that feeling's way up here compared to just like normal, which is like, yeah. So if I like suffer and it's down here, the spike of like enjoyment's going to be like massive. And I like that feeling. It's, it's, it's the old, uh, like, listen to me. I love like pizza and beer. Yep. Like, hell yeah. Hey, yo, <laughs> throw on a UFC. Well, that's it. We're good. But if you tell me for like the next two months, no pizza, no beer, no, 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 no desserts, no nothing. <clears throat> and and you, you got to be in bed, wake up. If you make me, and then and like, we're working hard, you know, we're going to work hard and we're going to sacrifice all of that. At the end of that, when we get pizza and beer, I never tasted a better pizza before in my life. When I have six beers, every one of the fellas around is my best friend, even if we barely know each other. You know, I'm so into that night. It's crazy. And that's where it is, the, the restriction and then being able to play a little. The restriction, that teaches you. There's something there where um, that's why sometimes if I go too long without – a competition or something like I'll, I'll start dieting and people like you got a competition coming up. I'm like, just getting a little, just getting a little soft here and there. Man. <laughs> you know, I want to tighten it up a little bit and people yeah. might not necessarily get it. And I'm like, but it's something that feels good about it. You know, uh -huh. something where I think, um, uh, Jacko, uh, is it Jacko or Jocko? I think I mispronounced it. The military U S Marine. Who's got a podcast. He's on, he's been on rogue Rogan. People listening to this, I'm probably driving them crazy when they know who it is. But um, he talks about how discipline is almost the same as freedom. And he's, he's going to do a better job explaining. It sounds like the total opposite. But when it's self-discipline, mm -hmm. it's taking control of. Mm -hmm. And when you take control of, you have a sense of, like, I can do whatever I need to do. And when, you, when it gets real hard, 
like mm. right before a bodybuilding competition, for instance, <clears throat> and you really take the reins and your body fat's dropping, the hormones are all over, and you're like, what the hell is going on with my body? Um, the the self-control you have and the realization of just where you could take it if you need to. If mm -hmm. you ever had to, you're like, I'm capable. If, if you sign up or when you went into powerlifting and you mm -hmm. sign up with your coach and your coach is like, are you sure, Chris, things are going to get kind of tough? You'd be like, dog, dog, you know, <laughs> don't test my heart. Like, you know, we're, we're good. I'll go there. I'll do what I need to do. There's something about having gone through those trenches, right? To be a little battle tested. You don't know until you do it. Everyone yeah. thinks they can do it until they hop in there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, it's, it's, it's a little different when you're powerlifting though, right? Was that a different shift when you start powerlifting? Were you like, oh, this is easy. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely, um, it was the same, but from a different point of view, like it's a different kind of hard. I, I still don't know how to explain it. Yeah. You know, like, it's, it's almost harder to like hold back from maxing out all the time, you know, which I want to do sometimes, but, um, and yeah. yeah, well, that's where you need a coach, right? Like there's that, some people yeah. who coach themselves and it turns into a freaking a, a max out every, every <laughs> other week where you're <laughs> like, Hey man, holy smokes. And you, you can lie to yourself. Like mm. I see people looking, man, I got to do the king of lists. I see a lot of lists and I'm posting and sometimes people are like, um, you know, whatever kilos at eight. And I'm like, eight, like, <laughs> you had two more <laughs> or yeah, like at eight, holy smokes. Or, you know, yeah. It, or even if, if you increase your enthusiasm walking in there, you can make almost anything at eight because you're so pumped up. But if you jack yourself up for every single or whatever, triple or whatever it is, and you turn what would be attended to an eight, because like you have to fight or flight adrenaline going through your body. Okay. Mm -hmm. That moment right there would have been an eight, but you can't tell me you didn't walk away from that set. Like you're smoking your nervous system. Like yeah. you should be that aroused for a fucking triple every week. You're not going to make, you know, mm -hmm. that's where your coach is like, can I talk to you a minute? <laughs> you're living for the gram right now. Yep. <laughs> when you signed all with the strength guys. Yep. Did you have a conversation of like, obviously they have 74s. Uh -huh. um, like they're, they're going to take on 74s. They have to, right? Mm -hmm. You can't have, you're not, they, if they try to only have one lifter a weight class, they'd have to charge that lifter like $100,000 to make their, yeah. to, to have their 20 man staff keep it going, uh -huh. 20 man, woman staff going. So obviously they have other 74s. And when you mm -hmm. went to them, you weren't mm -hmm. number five in the world, number five yeah. of all time. No. So when you went to them, was there even a conversation of, hey, man, we got Taylor. So, you know, was there any conversation of conflict of interest at all? No, nah, I mean, like, my total was still, like, you know, under 700 back then. So um, it was more just for, like, like not, none of that kind of thought was even behind it. Like, well, How did you feel that they didn't even ask? Were you like... Oh. <laughs> Were you like, hey, guys, you should be worried about me. You should be asking some questions here. I'm a little <laughs> insulted. You took me without asking twice. They were like, Taylor, are you good? He's like, yeah, we're good. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, um, I, I already knew Kedrick, like, beforehand as well. So it was, like, kind of um, 
like the coaching process just like kind of just started off where we like ended off as like our friendship was anyway you know yeah yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> after after you hit top five all-time totals though is mm-hmm. taylor looking at this like, oh what, what this shit is oh he's one of ours who the fuck is training this guy? Who in our <laughs> outfit is training this guy? Because now he's now he's on the radar. Did you like leading up to to uh, the performance you just had? Mm-hmm. I've been posting and I've seen the numbers steadily going up. And I started mm-hmm. posting more and more on King of Lifts. The more and more the numbers are going up, and mm-hmm. more and more people started commenting. Like, ah, oh, mm-hmm. okay, well we got like somebody down there in New Zealand's been shifting some weights, and you're going more and more on people's radar, mm-hmm. and then. Your last comp happens, and now you're top five, dead or alive. Okay, mm-hmm. and do yeah. you know who Jada Kiss is? No. The rapper. That was his no. saying. Top, top five, dead or alive. But anyways, <laughs> Yo. that's your, that's your saying. No. That's your hashtag. Top five, dead or alive. So um, when you're top five all time. So when you hit that, and all of a sudden you're you're in the top five. Did have you felt like have some people reached out? Are people talking now? And and things are a little different for yourself um yeah man like i've definitely had like a lot more like uh like messages and that through like instagram like asking about like what's like next and all that kind of stuff um but a, a lot more engagement especially since then like i think like uh yeah I, I don't know just a lot more engagement man on instagram definitely do you feel like previously the rest of the world was somewhat sleeping on you. I mean, you didn't give them, yeah. you didn't give them that total yet, but yeah. did you know when this drops, they're going to start talking because previously everyone was looking in the U S 74 yeah. was so strong within the U S and then once they, mm. once Taylor, for instance, left the U S he was kind of mm. saying like he had Kajel who, mm-hmm. who, uh, from Norway, who's a, uh, you know, he, he beat Taylor and won the world championships previously. Uh, mm-hmm. He won the world championships and equipment as well. So he's good. But besides mm-hmm. him, there wasn't a heck of a lot of 74s to worry about. So for Taylor, yeah. he, he was winning 74s in the U S fairly smooth, but it's starting to get tougher and tougher. But when he mm-hmm. left the U S or what, like everyone was like, man, it's tougher in the U S than even at the worlds. Did you mm-hmm. feel a little bit like looking on the, on the outside looking in? Yeah. Like I, I, I kind of feel like a lot of, um, Cause like I was getting some big lifts and that on like the gram. Um, but I feel like a lot of people were probably more like, it's not going to be consistent to comp, yeah. you know, like, you know, get big numbers at comp and then like get like 60 kg less, you know, at, um, and that happens. That happens, yeah, yeah. man. Like it doesn't always transfer from the gym and, and nobody knows how much weight you cut from the gym onto the, when you hit the platform, et cetera. Right. So uh-huh. fair, fair. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that was like a big thing that happened at this one. Like, I think people were more just like surprised that I um, stayed consistent, I guess, like to competition standards. Uh, but it's something that like me and Kedrick could like kind of be working on a lot, uh, keeping the gym like, uh, you know, real similar to the competition, like, you know, trying to keep my weight uh, within like competition range and like, uh, like training like a powerlifter. Like I used to not train like a powerlifter that much, like locking out and, you know, hitting depth and all that kind of stuff. So it's one thing that Kedrick's been doing a lot of. Is he there live with you in the same gym at all times or just every now and then? Or? Um, nah, just, just strictly online because I train at uh, a different gym that he trains at. 
but like closer to comp, we all like meet up and like uh, like last time we went for like openers and that in the in the same gym. Uh, but most of it's just like online and videos that I've seen through them. But the big thing is, is if you have a coach who's actually going to watch your lifts and call you uh, out if you're not locking up, call you out if you're not depth. Here's the thing, uh, man. If you don't, if you're the coach and you want to be positive and you don't want to ride somebody, so you don't, you're like, nah, I'm just going to let this slide a little bit. You're not yeah. doing that person favors when they hit the platform. No, exactly, man. And, and that's like when a kid jokes like Strand say, like he's, he's got a good way of like calling me out with it. Like he doesn't like be a dick about it, but he's like, yeah. you know, he, he does it the Kidrick way, which is like, you know, the Kidrick way. <laughs> it's, it's uh we, I had him on the podcast. I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's a, he's a fucking sweetheart. I remember yeah. we were doing, um, I, you know, uh, Evie. Yeah. Um, I don't want to fuck up her last name. Uh, Corrigan. Corrigan. Okay. Um, because she's obviously from New Zealand as well. And she did that check. But in the beginning of the lockdown, she did a check-in body weight. And it became like, you know, boarding weight, whatever the shit her boarding weight was, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then she posted like a little selfie. And then like three or four other New Zealand lifters did the same thing and reposted. And then I'm like, (laughs) and I'm like, I'm taking this. And I reposted. And they were just making fun of her. You got to do like 120 pluses in like skimpy underwear try to be whatever morning weight blah 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 and then i'm like at evie and at king of lifts let's see and everybody dog this shit went like we got like jessica bittner and Kim <laughs> mary and like people from all over the world started posting in and um i remember i posted up as well and you know you gotta go shirtless and do your thing yeah, and then awesome. i think me and kedrick got into a little bit of a hoedown and and oh, things like started that. getting a little my man, remember he posted with a toothbrush and he goes, cannot confirm if the toothbrush is the only thing I'm wearing. <laughs> and he was, because they chopped off at the waist. I'm like, all right, you win. That's it, man. That's as far as I'm going, for God's sake. Last thing I need is my brother to be online. I'm like, holy shit, sir. What are you doing with yourself? There's oh, a lot God, of people man. watching this. But yeah, he's he's a good guy. It, it's true that um, when, in terms of coaching, some people are just like, this is the way I am. This is the way I coach. And they mm-hmm. just try to approach everybody the same. Like if you're a hard ass coach, it's more when you're a hard ass where you think like, this is how I do it. So you ride people hard and you're like, freaking, I'm coming at you guns blazing for things. And it's like, that doesn't work with everybody. You don't know, you don't know everyone's background, how they're going to respond to it. It could do the total opposite. It's a lot harder to be a coach who's actually like, I will mold to you. Not the mm-hmm. other way around. You don't mold to me that's lazy as shit. It's, it's probably the way a lot of people do it. If you have like a hundred different athletes, but uh-huh. if you want to get the most out of all these, look at me, if you're going to take someone's money, mm-hmm. you got to actually put in an effort and not be like, this is how I do it. So I do it, bro. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, you go, you, I'll come at you like this. And I talk to you this way, whatever. It's like, take a minute, try to figure out some people and find out the best way to get it out of them. And everybody responds differently. You know what I mean? So the same where Kedrick's like, all right, let me approach this. Because you could also rattle people's confidence when they're going to a competition. Uh huh. Uh huh. If, if you're like, that was mad, that, how's a lockout? Mad week, son. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can, don't mess with someone's confidence. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think you're going to bomb. I think deads are going to be a problem for you. <laughs> you're right. Yeah. You kind of like, whoa, dude, take it easy. But uh, yeah, I mean, it takes, 
it, it takes a little bit of balance to get to know people. So if you actually know Kedrick a little bit ahead of time, uh -huh. you're going to be a whole lot more comfortable working with him. Oh man, definitely. And, um, you know, I've followed him for quite a while as well. Like I like his work and I like his personality and how open-minded he is and that. So I just knew he would be a good one. Eh? Do you watch, do you watch powerlifting as a fan? I do. Yep. Do you pay attention to U.S. Raw Nationals when the 74 kilo boys did battle? Uh -huh, I watched that one, yeah. What did you think about it? The lead up, my man, the leading into the Nationals, I had the four, the top four nominated guys going in. And mm -hmm. I think they were the four nominated going out, except for C who had bombed, but he was on pace to God knows what. But uh -huh. um, going in, we had that podcast and that shit, people were talking afterwards because they were like dropping sound bites on each other. And there was people like, this is too much. It was so, but th there was, there was like, I did a comic book poster of these guys where each guy had like a, a comic book or cartoonish character. They all were that dude though. Like if you like the strong silent type, you know, like, yeah, there's a Michael C for you. If you like the villain, I mean, there's Ricky Cho who is literally the villain. Do you like the, are you a diagnostic type who likes the king? who's got the dynasty. He had been in the U.S. for U.S. Nationals. I think a five-time champ, back-to-back -back world champ. You know, the established, that's Taylor, that's Taylor Atwood. Or do you like that young gun, the good-looking kid with the pizzazz? And that's, that's Austin, right? Perkins, who's like, he's the winning, even, even when Austin is on the platform, he's got that, whatever it is, man, like you can, you can't fake the funk and the guys, that's what, that's what he is. Right. So they each had something going in. And I remember looking for some kind of a comic book esque for each of them. And the, the feedback on that one podcast was pretty big, man. And then when the nationals rolled around, I think the fellas put on a show from, in terms of the momentum swings, like from, like, I know C bombing out for him. That's tough. As a viewer, when you have like, that kind of drama it's all drama when someone's like way ahead oh big plot twist he ends up pulling out oh kid but but like taylor's getting pressed and then perkins starts in the deadlifts the way he's unclasping his belt and walking back from the platform after he's hitting everyone's like oh shit then cho loads up like the technical deadlifter who like comes up from way behind. He didn't have the greatest squat, didn't have the greatest bench, and then pulls himself over 700, breaks an American record, hits the platform in that late rally that wasn't there for Worlds, was there for Nationals. So he got, like, there was drama for all of them, you know? And then even C, even though he bombed, he left with that everyone excited wanting more. So uh -huh. there was negative, but still plus. It was still good. It was still like, we all left like, I fucking, like I just had a bite of an amazing cake and I want more when you got C's performance too. All of them lived up as far as I was concerned. What were uh -huh. you thinking when you saw, and then we came back on the podcast. What were you thinking when you saw, you know, the hype leading into it and then what unfolded? Fuck man, it was, it was an exciting time. Definitely like watching that one. Um, so I kept up with the whole like, you know, watching everyone's training leading up to it um, and taking some wild guesses of what's going to happen. And like, fuck, like, especially like watching it on the day, eh? like watching it live, man, was definitely an excitement. Definitely yeah. brought excitement to powerlifting, eh? Who are you? Who, what guy? Because this, this, this almost, you know how people say like, this is how you judge what kind of a person they are. And you ask yeah. them what kind of flavor of whatever they like, right? But Yo. walking in there, 
what was your 74 kilo boy that you were backing? Fuck, man, I've always been a Taylor fan, eh? Um, oh, is that Taylor, right? <laughs> yeah, but after watching, like, Michael's squat, though, like, I was kind of, I was a little bit nervous for, um, you know, because I, I, I had my hopes up on Taylor. But, like, I, I, I seen um, Sean with his uh, squat and then the bench. And, man, I started getting nervous for, um, for Taylor at that point. No. Yeah, he he he. Uh, Michael C, you mean? It's pronounced yeah. C. His last name. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, man, Cho came on here and not on purpose. Was calling him C A, and I swear to God, like I started calling him C A. You know when someone says someone's last name, even if it's wrong, but they say it enough times, like fuck me, I'm starting to replace the proper way to say it in my brain. Stop saying it like that, my man. But um, no, man, C came out there like guns blazing, dude. His squat, Perkins squat, was absolutely phenomenal. Perkins squat, it was crazy what those fellas were doing. Um, all of them are squatting over 600 pounds. 272 isn't even going to get you on a platform for squats in the U.S. Raw Nats in just that event anyways. Like, they were really pushing it. Um, and then on the bench, Michael C.'s bench, he'll hit a 200-kilo bench. Like, his bench is – he hasn't in comp. He hasn't gym, though. Like, his – his bench is absolutely phenomenal. Or has he? I would have to double check what his bench was, but it was, he's got a phenomenal bench on him as well. I mean, mm-hmm. coming out of the bench, the bench press event, mm-hmm. it was looking dicey. Now, Taylor mm-hmm. has a bigger deadlift than C. And Taylor, mm-hmm. as a three lifter, is obviously more consistent, but it was definitely dicey. Also, man, let me get a co- controversial hot take for you. Yeah. Michael C's hair was dynamite, was it not? <laughs> Yo. <laughs> Those man, waves, bro. <laughs> Dog, those waves, my friend. Listen, I vacationed in uh, Jamaica, uh-huh. and uh, we had a fucking balcony off the side, had some cocktails, and in the morning, you walk up the sunset, and or sorry, uh, at the sunrise, sun just hitting the water, and the fucking waves coming in, in Jamaica. And the waves in that man's hair were reminiscent of Jamaica that day. Okay? <laughs> That's how beautiful it was. That's how I got emotional. I got emotional when I saw those waves. It was, and when we had the the wrap up podcast with the fellas, and everyone's like, it was like a, it's crazy, it's crazy because this is Taylor's, um, not claim the fame because he's already done so much, but for sure one of his claims is the best hair in powerlifting, uh-huh. right? Is that safe to say? Is that is that fair to say? And that's so safe to say, man. <laughs> that's top five dead or alive. Jay, word to Jay <laughs> Top, five, alive, Top yeah. five dead or alive, my man. And um, when Michael C came in there like that, there were some people talking about Michael C might have had better hair than Taylor. And <laughs> that, hey, that got that got a little ugly when I brought that up on the podcast. Taylor wasn't having it. He was like, "No, no, man." And I posted a poll saying who had nicer hair, Taylor or C. And um, I think people were hitting Taylor. But there was a couple dudes, I think it was Russell or he actually hit me up. A couple of black guys were hitting me up saying, do you know what it takes for a black man to get waves like that? Like he doesn't just wake up, part his hair with a little bit of product in there. He's like, we're talking fucking hundreds of repetitions. Bro. This isn't, this is like, I didn't know. Look at me for God's sake, man. I just <laughs> shake my head. I didn't know what goes into it. They're like, believe me when I tell you, see, and it's not even close. It's, it's C. What he put into it, it's C, man. I'm like, all right, okay. It is what it is. But um, 
when you're watching something like that and you see the height that those fellas get and you're, you're watching from the outside looking in, do you, what are your feelings on it? Are you like, Math, I, I want to, I want to jump in there. And they don't even know. They don't even know what you're doing on the other side of the world. Are you like, I can't wait until my name gets mentioned with those fellas and I want to jump in there and be a part of this? Man, like when, when I was watching it back then was um, like I now, like if, if you would ask me now and I was watching it, I would be like, yeah, I want to, you know, be jumping in on it with them. Um, but back then, like I don't think I was like, that confident enough, you know, like, or, or could see myself in that kind of position, um, you know, until I'd like done what I wanted to on the platform, which, you know, was like last weekend. And now I'm like pretty keen to jump in on the bandwagon, but um, yeah, man, uh, definitely makes it more exciting, uh, more motivating. Definitely. When you so when you were watching, you're like, holy shit, I don't know if I'm on that level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now that you've done what you've done, are mm. you now being like, like after you put together the performance, what was the, what was your total you just put together? Uh, I got seven fifty five. Okay, yeah. and so now you're tipping on the the other end of of the seven fifty range, going into the into the late seven hundreds, right? Um, uh-huh. On the future, you would like wouldn't be much to say. You could add 10, 20 kilo on there. I mean, uh-huh. people add 10, 20 kilo on a total for sure. Now you're getting into some big ranges that that's only. Taylor Atwood range. And that's Taylor. Taylor has a bad day. I mean, 790.5, I believe, was his, is his top end so far. Uh-huh. If he has a bad day, he might be around that range as well. All of a sudden, you're getting closer and closer, right? And then in terms of the other, the rest of the Americans who, who wage battle that day, close to around the same. Now, they would say, raise their hand and go, look it, I think we're stronger than we showed that day. Our totals are also moving up. Uh-huh. But when you look at it now, how do you feel when you're thinking, holy smokes, when we do some of these these preview shows, I might be in the middle of this. Yo, um, yeah, it's it's still pretty surreal to to think about, like at the moment. But man, like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I I feel like I can be a part of it now. So, is it? Do you feel like? And how do how do you feel? Also, like those fellas got a lot of attention with all the trash talk they were doing. Mm-hmm. how did you feel about it in terms of entertainment wise first of all oh entertainment wise like it definitely topped it eh? like it was that uh, yeah definitely topped it like entertainment wise just skyrocketed it up instead of just like guessing you know like yourself and that because it was pretty cool to see like like it, it could have been anyone you know like from the lead up towards it like it was like not looking at the numbers or anything like you, you would have really thought it could have been anybody and here's the thing when it comes to the trash talk. When you ratchet up trash talk more and more, you put pressure on yourself. Uh-huh. Because you, you're, if, if I don't show up or if things don't go my way, uh-huh. holy, people are like, – like with everything that Michael C. did, when he was chasing 800 kilo at the Arnold Classic, um, and he bombed at the Arnold Classic, um, mm. and, and you had people like – when I posted, the, like, I have to post the re- recap. I have to say what happened. You know, we can't just, if you have a bad day, I'm like, not going to post. People go to King of Lifts, like the ESPN of powerlifting, where it's like, I need my results. People, sometimes uh-huh. I post up and people are like, you're posting bombs now? No, but it's not just highlights. That's not uh-huh. what King of Lifts is. We're not just highlights. It's 
here's a competition that came on the weekend. Here's everybody's meat cap. Because some people are coming here to be like, what happened? The good, the bad, the ugly, right? And some people were like, what's up now with that 800 kilo total? What's up now with, like, how do you feel about that when people are quick to be like, when you said you were going to do something and people are quick to jump on, like, yeah, what's up now? Yeah, man. I mean, that, that's definitely was like crossing through my head, like leading up to this comp. Cause like, you know, before, before lockdown, I, I got the same total, um, but in the gym and I, I like, uh, I, I see me like putting pressure on myself from that aspect. Cause it, it makes me like follow through with it. Um, but at the back of my mind, like, I'm definitely still thinking like, you know, fuck, like I posted all these lists on, on the Instagram and like, I've said like my goals and all this kind of stuff that I want to do. And like, you know, all it takes is on the day and I, I miss the squat or whatever and my confidence starts going down and then I start missing benches and deadlifts and, you know, the backlash of social media. Uh, fuck, it's a scary place. <laughs> Dude, well, here, here's my theory on it. Um, when people talk like that, like when they, when people jump on somebody like Michael C who throws out a goal, like I want to be the first to cross 800 and uh-huh. I think it's going to be me. When people, when, when he tries, if he bombs, if someone jumps on him to talk shit, it says a lot more about that person talking shit than it says about Michael C. And usually the reason why you're talking shit is because this dude has the guts to put himself, it's scary to put yourself out there when, when you don't know if you could do it. It's scary to put yourself out there and be vulnerable and everyone's uh-huh. watching. And, and to be confident in the face of that fear and be confident in that vulnerability and be like, this is my goal and I believe I can do it and I'm just voicing it now. And for yeah. anyone who comes in afterwards, be like, ha, ha, you didn't do it, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you're, you're just setting, anyone who does that is setting themselves up in their uh-huh. own world, whatever they're doing to, you're, you're setting yourself up to be afraid to fail and stay within your comfort zone and you're probably living that life. You're that yeah. guy or girl, probably guy, if I'm honest, who can't break themselves through that comfort zone and put themselves out there because you're afraid to fail. Once you start thinking like that, right? When you, yeah. when you, when you celebrate people's losses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about it? Man, I, I find it motivating. Like when, like I, I know that if I, like as, as shitty as it would feel temporarily, like I know that if I like bombed out on something, like just say I want to go for 800 in my next meet. I mean, I, I bomb out or whatever, like something like this. I mean, I get like a lot of backlash in there from, from social media and, and people and everything that would motivate me more to go for it again the next time, but like better, you know what I mean? Like, it'll be like shitty for like a, a couple of days or whatever, but then it'll just like drive me like to be like, you know, fuck you guys. Like I'll show you or whatever, you know, here's what's worse, man. Let me, let me ask. Cause this is, here's a scenario that 90% of people period a face. Hold on a sec. Let me move myself. Yo, Ugh, that sun is getting in my cool. way, sir. Sun it's is getting be- in my way. So, um, what is worse to you? Do you think putting yourself out there where people actually do care, whether they're tuning in because they don't want you to hit 800, they're a Taylor Atwood fan. They want the King to 800 hit 800 first, or they're a villain fan. They want the villain to hit 800 first or whatever the shit it is. Making people care 
so that they're actually rooting. And if you don't make it, they rejoice. And if you do make it, all of your people are celebrating. And maybe you even transfer over some new fans. Or being in a situation where nobody's watching, nobody cares, you lift, it comes, it goes, and no one celebrates, no one trash talks, nobody cares. There's no pressure. There's no pressure. Hey, it's only you. You're only lifting for you, which they say we're, we're doing anyways. But in reality, in terms of sports, nobody cares. Nah, you want, you want the first option, man. <laughs> you, like, even though the pressure is that much harder? A hundred percent. I think it'll be like easier to get with that pressure though. Like it's oh, I've, like definitely something for like 800, you know, like you, it's, it's a big deal. Like I think if you don't have the pressure behind you, then it's going to be a lot more tougher to. A little pressure it. goes a long way to make things happen for sure. Oh, yeah, but so do, do you have a feeling though, that with your performance you just had leading into that performance, uh-huh. You could fly under the radar. And just like you were watching U.S. Raw Nationals telling yourself, oh, I'm not on this level, man. I don't, uh, I don't see myself in there right yet. And maybe yeah. those fellas aren't looking over to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Now you just did what you did. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows you. And now you're on the all-time rankings. And now uh-huh. they're going to see you coming. Do you think that's going to change things for your next competition? And do you kind of feel that a little bit now that people are talking? Yeah. Well, I... I feel a lot more motivated to put more effort into everything uh, because I do feel like a little bit of pressure like behind me now, positively. Uh, but things have definitely changed in my mindset. I still don't know exactly what because it's still pretty fresh. But yeah, man, I definitely feel like things are going to change like going forward in a positive way. Like when you get an actual chance to be in the mix with some of these fellas? Yeah. Because right now it's still just because we don't have in huge chunks, like for instance, the U.S. Raw Nationals isn't going to happen. Worlds, as far as I know, is still going through, but that's Mm -hmm. touch and go. Certainly not the big 74s are going. Um, Uh So it's going to be if Worlds does take place, it's not the big showdown that everyone's anticipating or would have been anticipating. So it's not quite like there yet right like in terms of the hype and the feeling of it mm-hmm. it's not like you guys are all like okay here's the date and i'm going to see you guys there uh-huh. but it's going to be coming at some point in the future so it almost doesn't seem real yet but will uh-huh. it what will it feel like to you do you think like will you have felt when when let's say the world starts rolling around and they send 274s uh-huh. and it's it's uh it's atwood and let's let's say it's cho just for the sake of this debate and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. Cho throws his first shot at you. Because you know if Cho's going, he's going to throw a shot. Um, yeah. It would be disrespectful if he didn't. Because yeah. <laughs> you would be like, oh, you don't even take me seriously then. Yeah. What? You, for the villain not to take shots at you, is like, what the shit? Would you all of a sudden be like, oh, I'm in the mix now. This is, like, I, got, I just got pulled into this. People are talking about me and they're firing. They're, they're popping up on my comments now. And they're, they're commenting, like, Cho will, Cho will comment on, on lifts, and Michael C. will comment on lifts, and they'll be like, ah, it looks a little high to me when they go on your squat. Or they'll be like, RPE 8? Really? Okay. And you see that shit back and forth, right? If you start getting pulled into that, how do you think you would feel? 
Oh man, like, uh, I don't know how I feel to be honest. Like, I, I'll definitely feel like I'm part of it at least. Um, <laughs> like, it's but, a, uh, look, it's a very American or or North American kind of thing. This is what yeah. people tell me when I'm at Worlds, and I'm like, "What do you think about this?" Off the record, some people are like that's very American, man. In terms of culturally, there like there's obviously Conor McGregor's from Ireland. Like, there are people in other places that can be very brash and aggressive as well, but. For in generality, they're like, that feels like an American thing to do. And you don't mm. seem like the type of dude who's like going to come on there, show up in people's comments, <laughs> hop on the podcast and be like, this guy sucks. I'll probably tune that guy up pretty easy. You know, like what I mean? So, but if you end up on the same platform as these guys, you get roped into it. Do you think you'll try to stay out of the mix? Do you think you'll try to jump in there? Or will you be like, I don't even know, man. This isn't, this isn't something I'm used to. Uh. Fuck, like, I'll definitely, like, like I'll always keep my status as, like, the, you know, the humble guy or whatever, but, like, um, fuck, I'll definitely, like, jump in on it, of course, but, like, in a, not, like, a, I wouldn't, I, I don't have it in me to, like, throw some trash talk back, to be honest, eh, like, fuck, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I it's so different. Time, <laughs> I know, it's so different. Look, there was a time in powerlifting where this wasn't even a conversation. Like this wasn't even something that people would be talking about, but because of social media and the followings, here we are. Somebody who knows all about a hyped up showdown would be your countryman, Brett Gibbs. My God, man, every time this guy shows up at the world championships, it feels like he's in head to head showdown. Like, like hyped up. I remember when Brett went against John Hack in 2016, they were doing like SPD made posters of them doing like a like arms crossed staring each other down like boxers on a boxing poster it was crazy man. it was wild like talk about the pressure and everything hyping up there's two sides to it the more you lean into it the more pressure you put on yourself but the more hype you make and the more the gains so if you were leaning if you were going to have a showdown in the middle of this 74 kilo showdowns if you lean into it you walk in there with x amount of followers you leave with three or four times as many followers. Ricky Cho in the summer of 2019, when he came back from the world championships, had like 1,000, 2,000 followers. Ricky Cho right now has like over 20,000 followers. He's like 20 times, and it's only been a, a year because Ricky Cho, A, is a world-class powerlifter, but threw himself in there. So it's one of those like things where you're like, all right, this is a straight-up marketing. If you would, Are you selling... Or do you sell coaching online? Oh, uh, yeah, I do, yeah. My man, do you know the T-shirts Ricky Cho is selling and the, and the clients <laughs> he picks up with Pug Nation and whatnot? Like, it's, um, but on the flip side, you don't want to not be yourself because it just comes, it doesn't come off right. It comes off um, force and people know it's force. And that feels gross. Yo. It's a, t- <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough balance, isn't it? Yeah, man. It's definitely a tough balance. Um, I was seeing some posts about you in your background. You got an interesting background. I want to talk about it a little bit. Um, Because you would put some posts saying, not everybody knows like where I come from and where I've ended up. It's some of the things you're accomplishing now. Um, So let's dive into your background a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, of course, man. How did did you come up? What was your childhood like? Uh, So I I grew up in New Zealand. Like, obviously, I'm from here. Um... Like childhood, pretty good until uh, 
you know, I started dabbling in like drugs and shit. And when I was like about 15 years old, um, you know, I got kicked out of school for, I had my own little uh, weed growing business at school. Uh, I was like okay. growing entrepreneur, sir. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like a skateboarder back then. So I like, I was at boarding school and like, you know, I needed to buy equipment for my skateboards and shit. So, you know, we had like a drug teaching class and they were like telling me how much weed was. So I'm like, Oh shit. Like I can start selling this shit. So like, I just started. Dude, like, I don't think the drug teaching class was supposed to have that effect <laughs> on you, Doug. I think oh, they were man. trying to say, don't do drugs. And then the opposite, you're like, say word, how much money? <laughs> Yo, yeah, that's, that's all I heard back then, man. I was just like, you know, a 15 year old boy. Um, but um, yeah, I just started growing dope at school for a good six months or so. And then I like got kicked out. Uh, I went for a pretty, uh, pretty rough patch for the next. So I dropped out of school and everything. And I went for a pretty rough patch for a good five years until I was 19. Uh, I was living on the streets, got into meth. Um, Holy shit. And that's, so let's, let's, not that like, I, living on the streets, were you literally homeless? Yeah, I was homeless at points, um, like literally, literally homeless. Otherwise, I was living in my car um, or just like couch surfing uh, wherever I could, like go to parties on the weekends or whatever and just like, you know, make sure I like stay at the house, you know, sleep on the couch and then like gap it in the morning. Uh, but yeah, man, that was on and off for a while. Like I was, I was working sometimes, but then I'd like leave my job and then like go for like a little bender for six months or whatever and then i'll like go find another job and then like go for another bender or whatever for six months and um they lead me to how, how did you find meth um it was <laughs> i don't know like it was just like it was just always there like uh there was no reason that i'd like take that one specifically it was just like always there like my my go-to back then was like um you know just anything that was like an upper um you know i was just like i was in a real dark place back then man like uh and it was like real common back back where i was from down in ashford and like meth was just everywhere so it was pretty easy just to go to parties or whatever and just like have that available and and and, and get it get it done the thing with meth um i've mm. known people who have who have been on amphetamines which is like close mm. to meth but it's like prescribed but it's like a uh you know, a poor man's meth, so to speak. And uh-huh. they change, like, you, they, in terms of eating is gone. In terms of, like, um, the up, you feel all of a sudden, like, you, you have this crazy high, so it's an upper. But when it leaves the system, the down becomes incredible. Like, uh-huh. you can have suicidal thoughts. You have, you, things get crazy, sketchy, very, very dark. From then you hit it again. And this is, man, I'm talking amphetamines. Meth is stronger even. So I can only imagine. And they would, you know, way up high again. And like their, the confidence, everything. You're just flying for a second there. And then the down though, when it starts coming down from it. And um, I've, I've listened to podcasts with people on there who talk about meth. And this one guy said something interesting. He was on the, the Fighter and the Kid podcast. And he was talking about, he's like, look at at the time, I, I wasn't married with a child, but now I'm married with a child. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, when I was on meth, I honestly, I could tell you, I loved meth so much. He's like, I love my wife and my, my kid. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if I love my wife and my kid mm-hmm. like I used to love math. Mm-hmm. And that soundbite stuck with me like, just, just tr- he was trying to explain like how bad was meth. And he's like, mm-hmm. just take that in as you would. And they were like, cause they were, what they were trying to, they were asking him, John Jones, a USC fighter mm-hmm. was, uh, he was kept getting in trouble for drugs. And they were like, mm-hmm. why doesn't somebody in this inner circle who cares about him just step in and, mm-hmm. and do something about it? Why doesn't his inner circle need their, the co the hosts were putting it on his inner circle to intervene. Mm-hmm. And that's when this guy said that, what he said. And then, and he's like, so understand me, if you're in this person's inner circle and you, and you try to step in there, mm. you're just not in his inner circle anymore. Yeah. Family, that, it, mm. step in if you're family, it doesn't, mm. it might not matter. Did mm. you experience, like, was it like that in terms of times where <laughs> you were just going to go on your own course? Man, like it was, yeah, 100%. Like people... Like the more I look back at it now, like I, I had help left, right and center. Like people were trying to, you know, do shit for me and that and like help me out of that. But nah, man, like drugs came first, you know, back then. Yeah. Uh, it, and and yeah. the ups and downs of it as well. Oh yeah, man. Like it was, yeah, hundred percent up and down. Uh, you know, no structure in life whatsoever. Like your goal, your, your only goal is just to like get drugs, you know? get high that's it and do you think when you're in there though do you ever were you ever like looking ahead like holy shit this isn't gonna last like this like I, there's no way i'm gonna survive to be 55 years old doing this oh yeah i mean that that was definitely there like but um it's there was no like future thinking you know it was more yeah. like it was always just like now nah, you know you know just instant gratification kind of kind of mindset like what can i do now now matters right. like you know tomorrow doesn't matter like i get high now i don't care about tomorrow so wild eh? to think like to look back so you were how old are you right now uh 27 27 so this is a yep. little bit ago this is a yeah. it's going on it's like almost look at man I, it's a it's <laughs> you're a totally different person but now you like most people they're 27 looking back at like 17 you're like wow yeah. it's a different person but you for real were a different person like can you even relate to that individual anymore Nah, like, even when I tell the story now, like, I, it's, it's becoming more, like, faded, you know, like, I'm, I'm struggling to tell the story, because every time I tell it, I'm like, shit, like, you know, was I, like, you know, there? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, just, it's, you know what, so I understand what you're saying, slightly different, but um, I, I've, I was on a show for a little bit. And you have to say, like on the show, it was a reality TV show, so I was me. Yeah. So you have to say your story, but you do like this press, like you keep talking to, they constantly want you to do like radio shows or talk, whatever the shit. And you keep, yeah. you, you say your story, everyone's got a story. Um, so I, Six Pack Lapidat, on the show, I Six Pack Lapidat, not Ryan Lapidat. Mm. And I was a powerlifter, strong man, right? But mm. I said how I found powerlifting. And I said mm-hmm. how I, like I said my story so mm. many times that it stopped being, I stopped picturing me yeah. younger and started just becoming a story. And I was like, yeah. I don't even know if, like I, I've i said it so many times, it doesn't even, I don't even, you know what I mean? You're like separated yeah. from it now. It's not even real. It's not even my story anymore. It's, mytho- it's mythology now. It's not even yeah. real. People ask yeah. me questions and I would describe events and I'm like, 
fuck, man, I've said it so many times. I don't even know if I'm talking to myself. Like, what the? You know, it gets yeah. weird. Uh huh. That's exactly that's exactly what it is. You know. And it must be even worse if it's the mind state is not even close. So now it's not even just a memory, but your mind state was not even close to what it is now. No, it's so much different, eh? Like now I actually think about the future, you know? That, yeah. That's a weird thing, you know? That's, well, now <laughs> you're, you're, you set goals and like everything's about the future when you're a power lifter almost, right? It's uh -huh. almost like a battle to stay in the here and now and appreciate the journey as opposed to thinking about that competition day that's on the calendar. So uh -huh. when, you were, when you're going through this living day-to-day, -day, <laughs> battling mm. meth, did you have to hit like a rock bottom to turn this around or how did you end up turning this around? Yeah, man, I, I hit rock bottom uh, when I was like 19. I, um, you know, I just, I, I kind of had a realization, you know, that I, I was screwed at this point. Like this was at the bottom, bottom. I was in, uh, I was in one of the towns and like, I just, this was the point where I had nowhere to go. Like I, I was trying to like text people. Um, I just had nowhere to go. I mean, I, um, I just thought for a while, like I was in a, in a park and I was just like trying to think about how I can just get a break, you know, just like chill out for a while. Um, and I just thought about prison. So I'm like, shit, like, I think I need to be in prison. So I, um, Holy smokes. Sorry, go ahead. Whoa. <laughs> um, so I did a, I did an armed robbery on a dairy, um, in my local town on purpose as a way to get caught and get sent to prison. Um, so I robbed a dairy and I called myself in uh, a few weeks later, like a month later or whatever. And um, I got sentenced to three years in prison, three years, one month. Uh, yeah. Well, when you robbed it, it yeah. armed robbery, did you have like a gun or what did you have with you? Uh, it was a knife. Okay. And you yeah. went in there thinking like, hopefully everything goes smooth. Hopefully yep. nothing happens. And that's the scary shit when it's, like, obviously you're on meth. You're not thinking about all the variables. Like you yeah. said, it's not foresight, but mm. life could have changed if somebody wanted to scrap and you got a knife and you're like, this was not yeah. the plan. If things turn sideways and all of a sudden somebody gets hurt, you're, yeah. you're like this, your whole life could have been entirely different. When you're 19 period, things are different. You think differently, but when you're 19 hooked on meth and literally at the end of your rope, like how you must have been desperate to tell yourself this is the only way I'm going to get off meth. Yeah, like that was the most, the only logical thing that I could have like thought of at the time. Um, you know, I was I was pretty dark back then, but that that was like the only option. I'm like, I don't want to. I just didn't. I could have asked for help, hundred percent. Like I, I had family and shit that I could have gone to, but I don't know. That just didn't seem like right for me for what I wanted to do back then. Like I didn't want to be seen as like asking for help or whatever, you know, I was too proud. Um, and also there's like, you could check in and out of rehabs. You can like you prison, you can't check out you can't, it, like you're, you would literally like you're, it, you would be stuck in half yeah. the deal. Now you could get drugs in prison yeah. when you went, when you ended up going. So how did the family feel and your friends and all that, when they found out what happened, were they like surprised that they kind of see this kind of shit coming where it's like, okay, this was the, the yeah. conclusion that was going to come. Uh, I think they were all definitely surprised. Like, you know, it definitely hurt my family quite a bit of uh, me going inside. Uh, I think some of my friends, like it wasn't really surprising because, you know, I was getting deeper and deeper by, 
by the day. Um, but that, that was kind of the purpose behind it. Cause I know like if I went to rehab or whatever, I could check myself out and I know I would, you know, I needed somewhere where I could just, I'd be forced to, you know, like think and be in the same spot, you know, for, cause I'd been like all over the show for, for years. Like I needed somewhere where I was just in like one spot, one bed just to like kind of chill the fuck out for like a little while, you know, like have a well, break. Well, it's easy if you burn a bridge and then leave. You burn yeah. a bridge and leave from this guy's couch to the next guy's couch. You burn a yeah. bridge and you leave town and you're just yep. like, well, can't go back to there. But yep. you go to prison, mm. you know, you don't burn a bridge because they'll find you. Like yep. you, you got to quickly shits. You're like, okay, here we are. I'm stuck. Yep. Now I yep. have to adjust. When you went uh-huh. in on prison, were you scared? Was there a moment of realization like, holy shit? Ah, uh, yep. First day in, like, because uh, you know, like you you judge stuff based off like movies and shit. So like, you know, I went in there like, fuck, like I'm gonna get like stabbed or whatever straight away, and my shit's gonna get stolen and all that kind of stuff. So like, I went in nervous as shit, like 100. Uh, but it, it quickly died down straight away. Like when I went in, uh, you know, I got tested in there for quite a while. Like it was pretty rough at the start, but it was not like as bad as I actually like thought it was, you know, like, it's just literally, you have to, you're going to have to have a couple fist fights. 20 yeah. year olds getting fist fights though. Yeah. That's not the craziest so, thing to wrap your head around. Nah, it was, it was not too bad. Not too bad. <laughs> was I mean, it summer camp? Was it delightful? But it wasn't too bad. Yeah. I mean, like I, I, I over-exaggerated it. So like, it wasn't as bad as I thought. It was still bad, of course, but like, you know, I didn't like die or anything like that, you know, so. Right. But some people were dying. Like, were you in the same prison where things like that would happen? Nah, like New Zealand's pretty good. Like how they have it over here. Like, you know, there was definitely like stabbings and like all that kind of stuff pretty frequently, especially at the start, because like I started off in high security because of my crime. Um, that was for, uh, six months that I, after I got sentenced. Um, so that was pretty hard up, but like I found straight away, but as, as long as I was like just myself, cause I, cause I'm like, I'm definitely like an observer. So I observe how things kind of go and, and problems would go down in there for people that weren't themselves. So people that were trying to be tough when they didn't have to be, or like, um, people that were being dicks and they didn't have to be, but as long as I was myself and like, yarning to everyone and i found that if i got onto a workout crew straight away people leave you alone as well so that's something that i did straight away was jump onto the the first uh, workout crew that i could find that's how i got into fitness um but yeah well like workout crews you mean is it literally just a bunch of fellas hitting weights in prison on like the one hour lunch or what it was the workout crew yeah so we get um in high security we got two hours out twice a day um and the workout crew there's no weights in prison uh so it's only um like we did like keeps of like fight training um like we used to use our jandals as like um punching pads um and like just do cardio type stuff so we were just trained to be fighters basically like heaps of cardio conditioning like core work and then heaps of pad work in the cells um sometimes we'll do some sparring with each other in the cells uh whenever the guys are looking (laughs) would it be like would it be kept to sparring? 
Oh, it was it was fighting. <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah. It was yeah. It was fighting. Controlled fighting. You know, like it was not like hating each other kind of fighting. It's like fighting, and then when it gets out of hand, then it's like kind of cool. Yeah, you're like you're good. But w- yeah. did they have gloves? <laughs> no, nah, it was fists. Because like so, um, fighting is illegal in prison, obviously. So we had to do it in the cells where there's no cameras. Um, so we don't have access to to gloves or anything that like involves like fighting or whatever. Okay, hang on a sec, dog, because this is turning into a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. <laughs> Man, you, you, you very casually are like, so I ended up joining a fight club in prison, and uh, we would fight in cells. And uh, really, yeah, bare knuckle, fucking holy shit. So you are 19, mm. in prison, joined, you called it a workout crew, but it sounds like a fucking fight club. Right, sounds like you guys trained to fight and then fought in in the cells. And then, if you were getting the better of somebody, I you jump in like you're not gonna, you're not trying to, whatever. We go that far, but you got a fist fight. Were people getting like one or two punches? People are gonna get fucked up, and not to mention concussions. Because I'm sure you fellows weren't too worried about you didn't have a concussion protocol in place for your fights. You've been suspended for 30 days, sir. You're not allowed to have another fight. So how often would you guys be fighting? And and like, you guys just did this, like, how did you guys get paired off? You know, explain this a little bit to me. Cause for anyone listening, this sounds wild. I'm not joking. This for real sounds like a fucking action movie. A guy goes into prison and enjoys a fight club. (laughs) Yeah. So it was just like, um, it was a very small group, man. Like it was only four of us at one point because we'll go through different units in there. So one, u- the main unit where this happened, um, there was me, there was another guy, and then there was two other guys. Um, and it will just be like us four having turns, you know, a minute each. Um, you know. But and how was, often would this happen? Uh, this was every week. And, and <laughs> Jesus. And was, uh, how big were these dudes? Because you were five, five. And how, how heavy were you? Because you weren't lifting uh, weights. I was, well, when I first went in, I was pretty skinny. I would have been uh, early 60 kilos, probably. Okay. Um, All right. So let me uh, convert that a second here, sir. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we're Canadian. I'm Canadian, so we do both. 60 kilos. You were 132 pounds? Yo. Oh, uh, like wait, no, 160 like, kilos. Wait, 160 kilos. What the hell am I talking? Right? I would have been no, can't be 160 kilos. Wait a minute. I would have been about a 63, 64. 64. So 140 pounds. Holy shit, dude. Mm. So how big were these dudes you were fighting? Oh, uh, they were bigger than me. <laughs> wow. So yeah. you were doing this on a weekly basis, training yeah. the fight, going in there, getting a fist fights. Yeah. Um, and how long, and this is in the high security prison where guys yeah. in the high security for half a year, yeah. and this is where dudes who are murderers and rapists, right? Yeah. Oh, and people like me as well. There was people that were just in there for like stealing cars or whatever. Like it was a big mix of, um, people, but yeah, there was a fair amount of murderers, uh, like GBH, which is like stabbing people and all that kind of stuff. Uh, common car thefts uh, and just like assaults and like you know a big variety of crimes and how did you when you're on the inside 
Like, how mm. does the interaction go with those individuals? You know, they're in for murder. And then that yeah. same dude is in there with someone who isn't in there for a violent crime. Is it yeah. is like, do gangs form? Is there like, how is the mm. culture in there? Uh, the culture is pretty well done. Like, you know, considering, because uh, like, I went in there like thinking, you know, like the movies and all this kind of stuff. But then I go in there and I just realize how everyone in there is just people, you know, like they're, they're just normal people, you know, like, uh, and most of them have just like done something that had just been like out of, you know, a bad choice or whatever, but they were still like normal people. So like going in there and talking to them, it's just like the same as just talking to, to somebody on the outside, you know, the only difference is that they had done something. But some of these people will have taken, like some of these people will have stabbed someone to death and taken uh-huh. a life. Yeah. And it's, I know what you mean where um, you can, so when I first went to school, I went, ended up going to school for marketing and media. But I, before that, I was tinkering with the idea of doing something with law enforcement, which was uh-huh. as soon as I was in there, I was like, man, I didn't want to do this shit. But um, like, this is not the way I, but they had in one of the classes, they brought someone in there who had done like four years in, in uh, you know, maximum security. And he said mm-hmm. exactly like you did where, mm-hmm. and this is a Canadian prison, which is probably somewhat similar American prisons, Russian prisons. Mm-hmm. You know, this podcast goes throughout the world. I'm sure some people in certain parts of the world where the prisons will not be the exact same, but mm-hmm. the dude said, you're still in there. It doesn't matter what prison you're in. If it's maximum security, you'll be side by side with, with someone who's someone who could have, literally took someone's life, stabbed them until they bled out and kept stabbing them. They stopped breathing. Mm -hmm. This dude in this one particular prison, people every now and then got stabbed to death. But Mm -hmm. he said, um, when you're sitting down talking to them, it Mm -hmm. is like you, like you kind of, like you said, where you build it up in your head the way it's going to be. But a dude who will have taken his girlfriend and that girlfriend's lover's life Mm -hmm. will be the exact same conversation about, soccer or football or whatever the shit and yep. you're like it doesn't feel any different no it but you could be a little anxious because like it's weird because you're like i'm not exactly going to step on his toes or whatever but it mm. feels the same on the surface it's really yep. weird though but you don't know you would st- even though people are people there are people in that same building who are capable of some heinous things yeah like, yeah. how did you, you must have been anxious when you're sleeping, walking around, knowing, even if you're okay, things could happen, no? Yeah. Oh, like, 100%, like, nervous every now and then, but you could just, like, feel, you could feel the energy, like, quite clearly, like, if, like, and, and like I've kind of said before, like, as long as I was myself, like, I never really had any issues, um, but, like, there's an odd day, you know, if, if you're out there and you feel like the the tension is kind of rising, you you don't want to, like, look at someone funny or, like, mm. you know, like, do anything that's going to make them, like, use you as the outlet because they've been having, like, a bad day or whatever because, you know, there's very minimal ways you can, like, outlet in there. And the, the easiest way is by being somebody else. So you want to stay away from people that are, like, angry. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's funny how you mentioned like the energy because um, this individual, as well as there's, there's a couple of good YouTube channels. There's one guy who went in mm. prison. He was in there for like 25 years in one of the American prisons. I think his mm. last name is Lawson or something. Um, mm. Good YouTube anyways. 
I'll, I'll, I'll DM it to you, but he was no. talking about the energy exactly that you could tell like when he was he was in american prison that there would be gangs mm. and stabbings etc but he's like when you're on the yard you become incredibly more in tune in those environments i don't uh -huh. know if it's just what it is because you have to be but he's like there is an energy to it where you're like mm. something's gonna happen i should just keep to myself or i should it's not this is a day to lay low this isn't a day yeah. to start busting jokes bringing too much attention and be a yeah. little louder this is a day yep. we stay a little more to ourselves because you can feel something's going to happen. Yep. You can, just because like it becomes like so routinic in there, like it becomes like uh, almost like robot mode because every day is the exact same. You know, you wake up the exact same time, you get the exact same food, you have the exact same routine. So the smallest deviation of anything in the day with like energy is real easy to pick up on, you know, because if everything's the same all the time and then, something tiny is just like different then you're like oh shit like something's not right here so right yeah yeah how was your relationship with the guards and, and whatnot at the time when you're um, this like mutual like in new zealand they do it pretty good like how they they operate everything like you know the guards weren't uh you know like crazy corrupt or anything like that they were they just came into their job and um you know went home and all that kind of stuff so they were pretty good. They just did their own thing in there. Um, you don't really have much to do with them in there. They just do their rounds and then go back to the office. Did you did did you go through your withdrawals from drugs while in prison? Yeah. So I I had my last day of like because I was smoke cigarettes as well, and smoking's like banned in prison. So like. Um, yeah, I just went through it all uh, when I first went in. It wasn't too bad, like, you know, coming off it on and that. I just slept a lot. Um, but, yeah, no, I just went through it when I first went in until my court date. And you, so it wasn't that hard coming off it then? Nah, like, the meth was, like, not like a, a heroin or, like, all that kind of, like, come down. So it was just, like, I just slept a lot for a long time eh? like i just i didn't eat for a while though but like i just slept a lot mm. yeah and then who are these dudes that you had this like the workout club the fight club with are they mm. did they just become your friends and you had like an mm. element of here's the thing so i would mm. i've done i'll do jujitsu and when i was younger yeah. i was doing some boxing and it's weird that you mm. get because you're doing this but it's not a i, I know what you mean where you're not actually mad when you're doing it it's more mm. a sporting style you develop mm. a level of trust with this person because your health is in their hands that is different and it's hard to explain when people think but you're fighting it's like you are but you develop a weird level of trust and there's mm. actually been studies on people who do like combat sports together people who've joined the military and if you're in a unit and you actually fight military together people in and it happens in police as well People in those kind mm. of environments develop this weird tightness and trust um, intuitively to it. Did did it feel like that with these individuals? Um, yeah, definitely. Like they definitely felt like uh, well, they they became friends. They became good friends. Like, and I would go to different units each time. So um, you know, for example, one of them that I did the the fighting stuff with for quite a while. He was. Like the way that I got along with him was that I was just like running 
you know, around the yard doing my own thing. And then he just asked if I wanted to join him in his club. And then I was just like, yep. And it was like a fight club? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so he was actually the president of a gang in, um, in New Zealand here. So he would go through like quite a lot of people to, you know, join his club and like go through it and all that kind of stuff. And not many people could keep up. Um, but surprisingly, like he, he just seen something in me and just like took me on as like a really good friend and trained me up and yeah. Was yeah, he man. a bigger guy? He was huge. <laughs> was he? Okay. Like how yeah. huge are we? Is he, are we talking like 120 kilo style huge? I'd say around about probably a hundred kilo. Oh, wow. Okay. So he's a big dude. Yeah. yeah. And is he still in there? Or is he now out? Uh, he would still be in there. Yeah. He was serving 12 years. I think he was. Can you say what he was in there for? Uh, he was in there for GBH. So that was stabbing, um, stabbing somebody. Okay. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. It's, so it's weird how you can make friends like that. And like on the inside, does it feel weird to say that now on the outside only? Have you kept in contact at all? Nah, I only keep in contact with one person in there. He's my best friend um, from before I went to prison. He's, he, he's unfortunately like still... Uh, he's still in there, um, but I I try not to to contact too many people that are still in there just to um, you know keep keep on track of my, my my new life and all that. It is so. Let's talk about that. So the new life comes, and I kind of understand that because you've done a massive pull around. I've been watching you know your posts and stuff and reading the captions where you talk about how you turned your life around, which is pretty inspirational mm. stuff. Um, mm. So you you. You eventually get out of prison, your term is up. And then let's talk about how you started turning your life around. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that, this all like came like coincidentally, like, um, you know, I, I got out of prison and jobs, jobs are real hard to, to find, you know, when you've just got out, um, especially when you're like real fresh out. So I tried to um, get work and work just, like wasn't happening so I uh, enrolled in uh, uh, as an institution in um, Invercargill and just like started studying like I, I enjoyed um, all the training and that that I did inside prison so I was like oh yeah I might as well um, just study sport and exercise you know understand what I'm doing um, I mean I just started studying that I did the certificate and I enjoyed it uh, went on to the next year, did another year. Uh, still couldn't find work at this point. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I might as well just study again for another year, do the diploma. I mean, uh, finished the diploma and I'm like, oh, yeah, still doing nothing. So I might as well just like enroll in the degree. And then, <laughs> so you just keep adding more and more. And when you're doing this, are you like somewhat shocked that like, holy shit, I'm just adding now I'm going for my degree. Yeah, I mean, that, that was a turning point for me, like, was, well, just finishing my certificate, I'm like, whoa, like, you know, that was the first time I, because I never finished school either, so, like, this, this was, like, the first time I, like, finished something and achieved something, and it, like, felt pretty awesome, so I'm like, fuck, like, I wonder if I can do the degree, and then, like, you know, then you do the degree, and then, um, you know, you're, you're training in the gym, and you're doing your thing, and then people start asking you questions, I mean, you're like, oh, shit, like, people were asking me for help. I mean, like, you start helping them out in there, and then, like, an employer's like, oh, yo, you want to, like, 
do some strength conditioning for our sports team and it's like oh shit like yeah and then um you know you do some of that and then finish the degree and then I'm like oh fuck like I, I enjoy study so I might as well like do some postgrad and then like folks dude you got your master's <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've just just finished my master's and graduated. Oh, I've got my graduation coming up. Um, Congratulations! Ah, uh, cheers, man. Uh, so yeah, just like just shit, just keeps happening. Like I didn't ask for it or anything. It just like it keeps happening, and I just keep being like a yes man. So I'm like, opportunity comes. I'm like, yup. Isn't it weird? I like sometimes when you're like, you think like this is this isn't me. I'm not. I'm not that material. I'm not master's material. I'm not like degree. You just think when you're at one point, you're on someone's couch, homeless. Another point you're in jail and you would have no idea what you're actually capable of. And there's a lot of people who like, maybe not to that extreme, but your story is good because it's extreme because other people are listening. Who's nowhere near as extreme, have no idea how under, achieving and performing they are and don't know where their full capabilities are when they're like you know what i've hit i'm I'm turning it i'm turning this around you know i'm going all in let me push let me see how much how far and all the studying you got to do to get a master's degree you know you got to talk about discipline you know knuckle down and dive in it's a whole nother skill set and the ability to learn like when you were learning were you surprised learn did you find like learning as adult was easier when you're taking this in or did you use like how hard was it like how hard was it to study yeah like here's when i was a kid i had a hard time learning and then i went back to school as an adult and graduate from university and like it was like so much when i was a kid in school my grades were terrible i was like never going to make it into university i doubled back got credits then enrolled in university as an adult and I mean, I was, you know, I mean, it, it was fine, but I like learned how to learn because in the uh-huh. system, the school system, nobody's, especially in public school, man, mm. if you got any kind of learning disabilities or anything like that at all, they'll just yeah. shuffle you through and they don't really care if you learn or not. It's just mm. let you, they can push you through what you pick up, you pick up, mm. whatever. But as an adult, you can be like, look, it, I, you start figuring things out, right? Uh-huh. Um, that was definitely like, like prison set me up real nicely for this part because like you know there's not much to do inside there like when you're when you're unlocked you're you're working out but when you're in your cell you've you've got nothing else to do apart from like reading and learning so like prison set me up quite nicely to study up on the outside because I, I spent you know hours and hours and hours each day just like reading stuff inside prison uh learning that way which helped a lot with when i got out of prison to you know get into actual studying stuff and that you know especially stuff that i'm like interested in made it a lot more easier it's so wild that at one point when you're in that park and you're like i got an idea and i think prison's gonna turn my life around ordinarily anyone heard that be like man this is a crazy idea but damned if it actually did not turn your life around it you you kick drugs in prison, <clears throat> develop schools that were going to get you all the way your master's and like <clears throat> change. It literally did change your life. Like you are obviously a success story. Not everybody's <clears throat> going to come out of prison like that. But did you, when you were in prison, you, did you realize how far you were going to take this? Oh, fuck no. Like I thought I was just going to get out and be like, 
you know, cleaning floors or like if, if I was lucky, you know, or just like on the unemployment benefit or, you know, maybe back in prison later on. Like I, I didn't think anything about like getting a, prof- a professional job or like competing or like any of that kind of stuff, like, which makes it so much cooler now because like when I'm doing it, I'm like super enthusiastic about it because like it's, it's still like unreal, you know, like it, it really, really is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it hasn't worn off. How lucky, like you don't take shit for granted essentially. Nah, fuck no. Nah, definitely no. And you probably never would have thought you're going to be a world-class athlete. Oh, never in a million years. Is 100%. it? 100%. Is it like funny, man? Like how you would be now? Because now you're on, I mean, man, we're talking on a podcast right now and people all over the world are going to hear it. And eventually yeah. you're going to be at the world championships. And um, it's, it's a hell of a turnaround and feel-good story, man. Do you do public speaking about this, about your story? Um, I have done. Uh, I, I was a guest speaker at a graduation ceremony last year um, at the place where I studied. Um, and just a couple of schools. I'm going to be doing some speaking at a, a, a troubled youth school um, in the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just, just whenever they pop up, I try and do them. Because I, I think that's the post I would have saw then. Because that's where mm-hmm. I started getting pieces of your story. And then I was like, all right, you got a hell of a story. And then when you hit the performance you hit, the 755 and ranked top five all time, it's like, wow. Mm-hmm. That's like, because I already knew you had gotten your master's. And then I remember you reposted a post from like 2012. And it was like, a. I remember you were like, I can't even believe this was a post I made. Like you were talking about waking up one day, um, didn't know where your wallet was and you were, I forget oh, what yeah. the post was. Yeah, I was asking and what the time was. What time, exactly. And you were like, and I remember thinking like, but it was so powerful that you, re- that you brought that post back. Cause you were mm-hmm. like, I'm finishing up my master now, eight mm-hmm. years later, I'm finishing up my master's. I'm, you know, you, you basically gave a rundown of where you're at now. And you're like, mm-hmm. when I look back on, when some people look back on their timeline of where, what they were doing mm-hmm. five years ago, whatever, mm-hmm. your contrast is like almost like unrelatable to 95% of the population. <laughs> Like you have been there, pulled yourself up. So it is very impactful for you to go and talk to some youth that are struggling there. Listen to me. You know, it's pot. I know what you're thinking. This is possible. You know, Yo. um, do you think about that? Do, does that put added pressure on you? Or are you like, I'm trying not even think about that right now? No, that's definitely not pressure. Eh? Like I, I kind of want to do a lot more stuff about that. Cause I think there needs to be more awareness about like how, if you fuck up, it's not the end, you know, like I think there needs to be more awareness around that because like just thinking back to when I was like in my dark place, like, you know, I'd I'd done a couple of fuck ups and I just think it's like the end of the world. So I'm like, well, fuck it. Like prisons where I need to be. Whereas I could have just got help and then sorted my shit out and like finished my masters like three years earlier, you know, like, so I think there needs to be more awareness around that. And yeah, I definitely don't feel pressure about uh, spreading the word about that part. I mean, it is, it's that, like that saying, it's never too late to be the person you're supposed to be. And um, Joe Rogan has a good quote that I posted where he talks about how, you know, people sometimes beat themselves up and be like, I made this mistake. I made that mistake. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that. That's not like I'm, you know, you put, it's easy to have negative self-talk and put yourself down. And Joe said, but you're not that person anymore who made that mistake. 
or this mistake, that mistake, whatever mistakes, list them. You're not that person. You are the accumulation of those mistakes, meaning you're, you've, you've learned each and every time. You've been through these experiences and you're not that person anymore even if you try. Even if uh -huh. you stay in the same lifestyle, you're still moving forward like it or not in certain directions. You'll never uh -huh. stay in the same place. There's one thing that's <clears throat> concrete in this world is nothing stays the same, even if it's shit. It's mm -hmm. never gonna stay the same. So you're gonna keep moving forward, period. And like you said, in terms of like, it is possible. You know, it's, it's important to have people like yourself telling these stories. And, um, and just doing what you've done already is big. But the more, the bigger you get, I remember I had um, Leah Babois on here on the podcast. And mm -hmm. her story, when she initially came through, uh, she placed at the World Championships in Sweden. And um, she came on the podcast and spoke extremely open about like depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. Um, she's uh, has has a she she's I forget exactly what the diagnosis was. Autistic. Um, mm -hmm. She's autistic and uh, has dealt with this her whole life. But her family before you get diagnosed because there's a spectrum. It's not as evident as people might think. Where you just oh I know my whole life. She didn't know. Mm -hmm all throughout school, high school, she was on the spectrum. And when your family doesn't know, when you don't know, nobody can help you. So then they just think you're weird, you're or crazy if you act out. And then it just leads to, it was a terrible path. Goes to the world championships, gets a bronze medal. She's breaking world records. Since then, broken the open 63 kilo world record. I mean, if you follow King of Lips, you probably know who Leah Babwa is. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, course, yeah. So she's been on the po podcast a couple of times. And then we did a follow-up podcast with the girls from the French Open team. Afterwards, she's already been doing her thing. And I asked the girls who they look up to in the sport. And the one girl, Samantha Eugene, 17 years old from France, 63 kilo. And she goes, it's, it's Leah Babla. And Leah was on the podcast in like waterfalls, man. Started crying, like couldn't believe. It was a year since she first came on and told me what she'd been battling and hadn't broken through yet, so to speak. And then a year later, she's like, how the fuck is it possible that teenage girls are like, I want to be like Leah Babwa. You know, it was surreal at moment that like, we just happened to catch on the podcast with on video and everything. And um, it's, I know it's, you, it's a weird thing about like, especially in certain situations where you're like, somebody's going to hear this podcast. Someone's going to hear my story when I talk, when I go to, uh, you know, these, these events when you're talking to these kids or these underprivileged youth or whatever it might be. And when you tell your story, you'd be like, I'm just telling my story. I'm a dude, Chris mm -hmm. Kennedy, man, I'm, whatever. I'm, it's nothing special. It is what it is, but you don't know that you don't know for some kid. They're like, that fucking was what they needed to hear. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to hang on to that and then bring it with them. Mm -hmm. You know, do you, do, have you ever thought about shit like that? Or are you like, man, I can't, it's too deep. I don't see myself like that. Man, I, I definitely feel like it's would like, I, I, cause I always try to put myself in, in the people's shoes where I talk to them. And I know that like for, I know that if I heard something like this back then, it would, it would motivate me to like, be like, yo, like, you know, you, you can do like, you know, more than what you kind of think you are or whatever. So I definitely feel like it can make some kind of impact. I just don't know how much of an impact it will make, like um, magnitude wise, you know, like if it's going to be like one kid or like, all of them or half of them yeah. or like whatever, you know? It depends the more you put yourself yeah. out there, right? 
Like the more yeah. you start doing, if you started doing some of these speaking, just saying, look, here's my story. Mm-hmm. It is what it yeah. is. But yeah. if in life, man, when you're lost and you, like, just like in real life, when you're lost, mm-hmm. you look for signs to get yourself back mm-hmm. on track. But it's the mm-hmm. same thing in life in general, when you're lost, sometimes like you're mm-hmm. looking for something like when you're yeah. ready, not when you're not ready, but when you're ready, you're looking yeah. for shit. Like you might, uh-huh. maybe you read a story or heard something and you're like, all right, that's what I needed to hear. This dude mm-hmm. did that. I identify with what he's saying. That's what I needed to hear. That's why it's important. It's good to um, like guys like you coming around that are honest about mm-hmm. it. I didn't know yeah. nothing about your story at all, man. I just thought you were a strong dude, a strong 74 <laughs> kilo. That's all I need, right? For King of Lips, that's all I need. <laughs> no. But your story was like, damn, that's a good story. It's a motivational, mm-hmm. it's inspirational. And for some people, it is going to be, you know, something mm-hmm. you need. Um, something they would need as well. So what going into like moving in the future, do you think about stuff like that when you're doing posts? And if you're like going to end up in the world championships with these showdowns and you're like, look at, listen, man, I was a dude who used to fist fight in the prison cell for fun. And now I'm a guy who does public speaking to kids trying to turn their life around. I don't want to get too negative and go back. You're like, I've been, you know, like, do you think about shit like that too? Where you're like, you know what? Or, you're, you know, does that impact you at all when you think about it? Or you, how do you feel about it? Uh, no, like, I kind of, I'm kind of, like, just thinking about, like, I actually don't know. I don't know yet. I won't know it's, until, it's like. Weird to, yeah, it's weird. What about even just period now when you post things? Do you think about it? Like, is it, do you even think about, or do you, like, I don't even think about myself as someone people might look up to. Uh I, th- I think more at the moment I, I put, I think about it. Like I hope that people look up to me, like not, but I don't think about it as I know people look up to me. Yeah. If that kind of makes sense. You know? Yeah. 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 So I'm definitely posting it out with intention of like, um, trying to make some kind of an impact or whatever, but I don't, I don't have the thought that I know it's making an impact or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe we talk in a year and we'll be, it'll be a different story, especially if some yeah. other competitions roll around. How do you see the future? What are some of your future goals? Some things that you want to hit? Uh, for powerlifting? Right. Well, powerlifting yeah. and in general, with mm. even if it's talking about telling your story, it's talking about furthering education, talking about your business. Um, so like powerlifting, definitely like, you know, make it to the world stage again, uh, whenever the borders open properly for that. Um, but the, but the next thing is nationals. Nationals is in 10 weeks. So um, that's my next big step uh, for the powerlifting side of things. Uh, like academic wise, like we're, I'm just speaking to my supervisor at the moment. Like we're looking to start PhD my, my, uh, with my same supervisor um, that I did my master's with. Um, I'm oh, wow, for, dude. Jesus. Yo. You just keep pushing it, man. Wow. Yeah uh work wise i'm just getting into teaching at the university at the moment so um a couple of the lecturers have been helping me um you know get a foot in the door with taking some workshops for the undergrad for uh first and second year papers um so that's kind of like the career the next career thing that i'm looking to to go towards is like getting more and more into like lecturing and teaching uh and just improving my academic career um Coaching, I like, I, I do a bit of coaching, but like I, I kind of, I more enjoy it than anything else. Like I don't want to, I don't like pushing for it because I don't want it to become like a job. Um, yeah. 
the, I don't like the pressure behind it and all that kind of stuff. So I think like, yeah, just future wise, I just want to push the, the academic side. Um, and yeah, just keep pushing powerlifting as, as far as I kind of can. It's um, so you were, you were going to actually be lecturing at universities. Uh, so, well, that's what I would love to be like in the future at the moment, I'm just doing assistant teaching. Um, but I'm leading workshops, like I'm taking workshops by myself um, for the undergrad. Um, I've got my name down as a lecturer, but like I'm technically not like a lecturer at the moment. But yeah, man, just taking as much as I can. Just being Dude, a man. <laughs> it's such a freaking turnaround, man. It really is. Look, at, I'm getting inspired. Just listen to you like I got to do more. When I hear what you're doing, when I hear where you were at one point and then like fast forward in relatively, look, at, I get like, 10 years is a decent amount of time, but it's not mm. a lifetime. You're still 27 in a relatively quick turnaround. You changed your freaking life. Huge man for you to be doing lectures at a university, you know, in, in, in pushing to get your PhD. Holy shit. I feel like I got to hang up and start doing more. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm going back to school. <laughs> Yo. But it is a, it's a hell of a turnaround, man. And for powerlifting, do you have specific, uh, like, numbers that you're chasing right now? Or are you like, look, and I'm taking it piece by piece? Yeah, man, I've got that, um, I've got that 800 buzz going on, eh? You're jumping uh, on that 800 <laughs> buzz, right? You're like, yeah. sound good to me. Yo, definitely, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you talk about it? Oh, I guess you just threw it out there that you want to hop on the 800 as well chasing i mean once you got past is it after you hit 755 you're like that's the next logical step man yeah yeah 100 like i can kind of like say and i don't know when it's going to be like if it's going to be in the next year or whatever but like I, that's my my next like major kind of um because my first major one was i had on my phone for the last year it was just 740 um just a 10 times body weight but yeah the next one will be 800 and so the, in, in your nationals, I mean, you're not looking to hit 800 at nationals. That's just like the in-betweener, essentially? Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to like kind of, I want to see really where things are at at nationals. Um, like actually, you know, try to get some max out, max outs on all, on all three, see what's actually there without leaving um, much on the platform. Mm. And then, yeah, from there, just kind of, Oh, it just depends on what's going to happen with worlds um, or commonwealths, you know, like right. whatever one kind of comes first and then just aim towards that one. Where is the commonwealth, uh, the next one rolling around? Uh, New Zealand. Oh, damn. Because yeah. the last one was in Canada. We had the yeah. last one before that. No kidding. <laughs> so you could break world records, et cetera, commonwealth, commonwealth, rec commonwealth records obviously can fall mm -hmm. um, as well. Do you have the commonwealth records already? Uh, no. Oh, like what's that? Sorry, do who has who has the Commonwealth records for seventy fours? Uh I actually don't know. Eh, I think it might be. I'm trying to uh -oh. think of who's in the Commonwealth. Like, has nations that you don't even think. There's so many nations in the Commonwealth. Like, obviously, Canada is one of them. I'm trying to think what Canadians might have taken it as well at some point, but I don't know, man. It's uh, in the British. You know what? I'm not too sure who would have the Commonwealth 74. Are you pulling up right now? Yeah, man. Okay. Um, Let's take a look at that because that's a big one as well, man. <clears throat> They've had some strong British 74s and Canadian 74s. When I'm thinking about powerlifting nations, 
But 755 has got to be looking. If I'm th if you're number five all time, then the other four ahead of you were not in a Commonwealth. The other four ahead of you, I think, were Americans and Kajel, who's from Norway, and Norway is not in a Commonwealth. So I think it might be you, sir. Was that an international competition that you hit? Nah, that was just a regional. Ah, uh, okay. <clears throat> then, uh, then you won't. You might not have the Commonwealth records. Maybe that's your next step. Uh, where are we? And I also think Owen Hubbard was a 74 at one point. And um, I can't remember the numbers he put up. And obviously he was on Team Britain. Great Britain. Oh, here we go. Um, so total is Josh Han Hancock. Ah, oh, Canadian. Uh, it's got to be right. way low though. It's got to be because that was that would have been a while ago, right? Yeah, that was 2015. 2000, yeah. yeah, 2015. Owen Hubbard's got bench. Yeah, no surprise there. Yeah. <laughs> so Josh uh, Hancock got squat record then, right? Yeah, squat in total. Oh, he's got the total as well? What's the total record? 692.5. Oh, dog, you're going to eat that for lunch. <laughs> Yo. Well, there you go. Check that off, buddy. The Commonwealth record, the Commonwealth title could definitely be some goals in 2021. When Something that I always ask everybody who comes on the podcast. Mm -hmm. When all is said and done, and you're a 65-year-old man having a beer at the bar, and you're looking back at your career talking about it. How do you want to be remembered? <clears throat> Fuck. Probably, like, consistency. Consistency, I reckon, like, from gym list to, to, to um, competition list. Right through? And, and through yeah. all three lifts as well? Because you are pretty right through consistent, like a Taylor Atwood style, not like a specialist who, like a subtotal guy or big deadlift that comes in through. You're consistent like an Atwood, like a three lifter. Yeah. Which is yeah. reliable. When it comes to performances, like obviously Taylor is, like he almost always hits. He's almost never off. He's always, he's very consistent with his performances. And it helps the fact that he doesn't rely on one weapon. He comes in with three different weapons every time. Like uh -huh. if one's not working, his other two are, he's okay. That's why he's always consistent because he's consistent right through the list, which helps. And his coaching does not let him peak in the gym and leave his best in the gym. You got the same fucking coaches. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it should be good. What's going to happen when you guys make the world – if you like, if it's head to head between you and Taylor, and eventually we're going to have a world championships that are, um, is it going to be? It's going to be the strength guys versus the strength guys. However, Kedrick doesn't work with Taylor. Uh, it's Ben Escrow and Jason Trombley mm -hmm. who work with Taylor, but it's still going to be the strength guys versus the strength guys is kind of different, huh? Yeah, man. It'd be a pretty similar style, you know. And they will. I mean, you pretty much post everything you have anyways. Yeah. 
but you would also have to have that communication where it's like, Kedrick, you can't tell your, your coworkers what we're doing if we don't post it. That yeah. shit is between us, man. This is, this is G code right now. We can't yeah. break it. That's gotta stay tight. Um, hopefully it happens, my friend. How do people get yeah. a hold of you if they want to A, get coaching or B, just follow you for the on social media, follow your journey? Uh, just through Instagram is like my main platform. It's just Chris Powliffs. Pretty easy. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> makes sense. And, um, and is there anybody you want to thank before we let you go? Man, just Kidrick, eh? Kidrick's been awesome. Um, yeah, no, he's, he's awesome, man. Like, if anyone wants coaching, uh, definitely recommend uh, go his way. Gotcha. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Listen, my friend, congratulations on everything. I mean, it's a phenomenal story, very inspirational. Congratulations on the 755 in the placing in the all-time <laughs> rankings. Um, yeah. I was super stoked because I'd seen your story. I'd seen the lifts, and I was like, man, I hope. I hope this comes through because this would be dope if it did. And um, the performance came together. Hopefully we, we get together some international competitions so that we can see some possible records fall and, um, and have some big competition with some showdowns that could show up. And you're, you're in the mix with the 74 kilo boys and we could all do our picks and get excited about it. Until then, yeah. my friend, stay Sweet, safe. Man. We'll keep in touch, man. Sweet, man. Thank you for your time, buddy. Sweet. You too, man. Catch you.